You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 132 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on July 23rd. And, of course, I'm Vince, along with Roger. How are you doing today, man? Say that again. July 23rd. Yeah, that was not a good intro. (laughs) Listen, I've been nailing them pretty consistently lately. I'm allowed one battery. I'm just going to skip that and play it a few times. All right. Well, this past week, uh, we had, of course, San Diego Comic-Con, the biggest comics uh, event of the year. And I always love things like Comic-Con and E3 because I'm the kind of guy who I'm always looking for companies to excite me about what they have coming up. I'm always looking to the future. If I read an issue of X-Men now or if I read it a year from now, I'm still going to appreciate it just as much. But if I'm reading that same issue, knowing that something it's going to be building to something or something even cooler is coming down the road. It's the kind of thing where I I appreciate it a little more. So big events like this where we'd see where the industry is going for the next year always draw my interest. Now, this year's Comic-Con was a bit of a letdown, I think mostly because the last few years have been completely insane with the New 52 and Marvel Now and all the stuff that's happened over the last few years. Comic-Con has been ridiculous whereas this year was definitely a lot more low-key on the comic news end it was a really good gearbox panel where they talked about the next dlc coming out for borderlands 2 that okay, actually, was awesome yeah before we got into the comic <laughs> stuff i was gonna ask if there was any non-comics related stuff that really caught your eye that was the one that i enjoyed the most it just happened too that i was up i wasn't playing that <laughs> i was actually playing two Raider, but that doesn't matter the point is <laughs> the uh, the panel came up for for gearbox and i made sure to watch it there was a live stream on on twitch for it and uh, and so they were talking about of course their baby borderlands too they were talking about the different stuff coming out and then they were talking about different other IPs, well, one that they procured, which we saw what they did with Colonial Marines. I'm sorry, you're not going to get my interest on new IPs. But anyways, no, it was cool. And then what I liked about it too, which was fun, was the uh, the appreciation they had for their cosplayers. I mean, so, oh, you know what though? <laughs> that was a tax. <laughs> Perhaps I should edit that out. No, I can look like an idiot. So, sorry. For those that are unaware, the was Australia PAX, PAX Australia. conference was also going on this weekend. <laughs> the sad thing is, is I knew that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, lack of sleeps and pain meds, folks. That's <laughs> does this to a body and a mind. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, in other... Oh, my God. I can just take that right out. San Diego Comic-Con relevant <laughs> non-comics news. Oh, my God. They did uh, unveil the Firefly quote oh, MMO Jesus. that's coming to tablets and uh, phone devices. So there's that. Did you actually watch the little trailer? Which was... No. I mean, nothing. What's no. hilarious about the trailer? Because Fox is involved here, Okay. Anybody who's a fan of Firefly knows that it's Fox that killed it, sabotaged it, you know, kicked it while it was down, everything. And so you're watching this trailer and like Firefly fans do not like Fox. There's a, this is not just a, you know, we would 
look at you sideways if we saw you in a crowded room. No, we would dash towards you and pick up items with which to hit you as we're running towards you, okay? So you're watching this little teaser trailer thing, which is nothing, and then they give the logos for the companies working on it, and then there's the Fox one, and then right after that, visit and register at our site, keepflying.com. I'm going, you hypocritical <laughs> bastards. Oh, so yeah, that's what I thought of that. Well, the one uh, thing for me about Comic-Con this year that I, I would have liked to see, I would have sold my left arm and your right one to go to the Godzilla experience that they had set up. Because, of course, uh, Legendary Pictures is putting out another Godzilla film uh, next year. And this year's Comic-Con was a big uh, marketing tool for them where they had rented out like a whole warehouse or something like just around the corner from the convention center. And it was like a Universal Studios attraction. Like they had this entire mock Tokyo neighborhood set up with all kinds of props and locations from all the old movies. Like they had original props from the original Godzilla 60 years ago. Like I thought those things were locked up in a safe somewhere and they brought them out for this uh, experience. And then they actually had... Godzilla attack the place where where uh, MPs would come running in and you know escort everybody to an elevator to take you up to the roof for evacuation and they had a full FX suite set up where Godzilla actually attacked the building and they showed off you know the new design for Godzilla and if anybody follows me on Twitter you know I've been nerding out like crazy for Pacific Rim that's nothing compared to what you're going to see when the new Godzilla comes out in a few months <laughs> something to look forward to so it's just one of those things that I'm super passionate about and I wish I actually could have seen. Cool. But as for the actual comic <laughs> stuff, we're going to start off with the 2013 Eisner Award winners. And I know you're chomping at the bit to get to this one, Raj. Well, I mean, only because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? There's a lot of people who really like Saga. More power to them. And I'll tell you what, I will go back because I haven't read all of them, because like anything else, if if I ain't digging it after a while, I'm sorry, you're not going to get my time and my money. I will go back and I'll read through the entire thing and see whether A, I missed something or B, it works better as an entire you know story. You can follow the entire story or whatever. So fine, maybe I'm wrong about that. And I'm, I'm I got no problem admitting when I'm wrong, obviously, just listen a few minutes ago. Um, but. From what I've read so far, I just, I don't see, I shouldn't say that. I do see why there's hype and it's because they push the hype button over and over again. And that's, that's all it is. It's, it's, you know, extravagance and hype for the sake of extravagance and hype. So I, all these awards and I'm going like, damn, like really? I, no, I, I, no. <laughs> Well, you see, that's the thing. I mean, different people have different tastes. Like, we've yeah. both gone on record. Neither one of us really cares for Daredevil, but it continues to win all kinds of awards. Same thing with stuff like, you know, Batman Incorporated. So many comics fans love that comic to death. I can't even read a full issue of it. So, I mean, different people have different tastes. And I understand that there are certain things about Saga that bug you and prevent you from truly enjoying the story whereas for me those you know those shocking aspects and the stuff that pushes the envelope it doesn't bother me and i can look past that and really appreciate you know the characters and the story that they are telling there that really is that good in my opinion but again see this is where we differ in terms of 
See, it's not that it bothers me. I got no problem when there's something that's shocking in a story, so long as it's, you know, for the sake of the story and not for the sake of creating buzz at the water cooler, quote unquote water cooler, or on Twitter, I should say, you know. That's, to me, that doesn't, it doesn't belong in there and it speaks badly of the writer. So that's the difference with me. So that's why this series as a whole has just been, you know, it's a Howard Stern of comics. And I'm just not digging that. I don't feel bad about not liking something other people do. <laughs> I didn't say I felt bad. I'm just <laughs> explaining <laughs> right. why I read this and it's like, oh, come on, give me a break. Anyway, a quick rundown of uh, some of the top winners. Uh, the full list you can find linked on our site. And we did run down all of the nominees several months ago, so I'm not going to rush through you know, the whole list of everything. Uh, best single issue went to The Mire by Becky Cloonan, which is really interesting to me because it was a self-published comic. It didn't come through any publisher at all, so I'm kind of going to have to look for that one. Yeah. Saga won for both Best Continuing Series and Best New Series. And as someone who does enjoy Saga... I have absolutely no problem with it winning one of those awards. But like, like we talked about with the nominees, several comics were nominated in both categories, and I don't feel that should be allowed. I completely agree, especially when you're looking at some of the competition that was in there, too, that deserves to be recognized, not just with a nomination, but actually a win. Mm-hmm. All right. Best digital comic went to Bandette from the, uh, the Monkey Brain imprint on Comixology, which I know the first issue was available for free. I checked it out. I kind of enjoyed it. Not really my thing, though, but uh, I think it might still be available for free. Hmm. Best anthology went to Dark Horse Presents. Uh, no huge surprise there. They put out some really cool stuff in those anthologies. We also have Best Graphic Album went to Building Stories by Chris Ware from Pantheon. Not, I don't really know that one. <laughs> Best adaptation went to Richard Stark's Parker, The Score. I have heard nothing but fantastic uh, feedback about those uh, graphic novels. And one of these days, I'm actually going to check one out because uh, the books are kind of nifty. I, I've read a couple of the books. We have, oh, goodness. Just Best writer, writer. Yeah. went to Brian K. Vaughn for Saga. Best writer slash artist went to Chris Ware for that building stories that we just mentioned. Best penciler slash anchor. And again, this is something that we've talked about on the nominations, how they changed the way this category works. It was actually a tie between David Aja of Hawkeye and Chris Samney of Daredevil and The Rocketeer. I, we, of course, love Aja. I, Chris Samney is one of those guys who I appreciate his work. It's just the style doesn't really work for me particularly. Best cover artist went to David Aja for Hawkeye, which absolutely, those covers are just fantastic. Uh, best no coloring there. went to Dave Stewart, who does some great work on uh, Batwoman, Fatal, Hellboy, a, a long list of very, very good, uh, very, very well-colored comics. Uh, best comics-related book, no big surprise, went to Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. I still haven't read the entire book myself, but every excerpt I've read really just kind of tugs at the curiosity of seeing uh, how everything went there. And uh, it's not here. I can't find it. The award for best website, but it went to Comics Reporter. Yes. Uh, so yeah, they, they put out good stuff. See, I know that the problem here is that um, it's only what's submitted. So it's not yeah. looking at everything as a whole. And that's frustrating because we can look at the, the all of the comics that we've read over the course of this past year. And like so many of them were incredible that and it's it's all subjective. I mean, every single category is subjective. So 
what we love and somebody else may not at all. But I mean, there's so many that I would give the nod over these guys in, in a heartbeat, which isn't to speak badly of their work, but I mean, I just don't feel that it's the best that was out last year. Some of it though, like David Aja's work on covers, like you said, it's not just about like the art. It's just the style that that man has is unbelievable. So yeah, more power to you. But then even as um, best penciler inker, yeah, he does phenomenal work and we love it. But there's also a lot of other people that I, man, again, in a heartbeat would, would give it above him. But again, they might not have been even nominated. Mm-hmm. And like I said, in the way they, specifically yeah. that best penciler, penciler, anchor, anchor, oh goodness, I am failing at English today. You know, guys like Stuart Amonin or uh, Chris Piccolo, guys who we really love their work, weren't eligible for that category because they don't ink their own work. How does that make sense to them though? How, who who made that like decision? Said, they that they it changed sense? the way the category works from previous years. So basically, they're saying all of you other people who work yes. on comics, you no longer you count. count. Yes, screw you guys. The everybody else is more important. I mean, when the the which isn't to say anything bad, but when the colorist is more important and they get their category, but the guy who actually did the you know the penciling and the inking, they're well, I shouldn't say guy people, they're not. Allowed a category? That man, that's utter stupidity. All right, we've already yelled about this uh, I for the second time long enough. So I think we're going to get out. On to the actual news that we had. Uh, we're going to start with Marvel, and their uh, first big panel was the Avengers panel, specifically focusing on a lot of the Infinity stuff, which is interesting because Infinity's happening like really soon. And even though I've been reading all the preludes, I still had no idea what the heck was supposed to be going on in that miniseries. And at least they broke it down that it now makes sense to me. All the stuff we've been seeing in Avengers with them uh, fighting you know, the alien uh, infestation that's taken over Earth. All of the Avengers and the big heroes are actually going to head off into space to fight the Builders. While at the same time, Thanos comes to Earth. So that's where now I finally know where the story is going <laughs> it actually makes sense to me because I've been reading those Avengers tie-ins and I'd be like, how is, where's Thanos in all of this? <laughs> On covers, that's all. Yeah. Uh, a couple interesting tidbits about the actual Infinity event that actually I'm really interested in seeing. First of all is they said Nova, you know, little Sam Alexander, been a superhero for all of two weeks, is actually going to end up going head-to-head with Thanos at some awesome. point. Awesome. Superhero yes. for a few weeks. Yes. And one of the tie-in miniseries that I'm really interested in reading is called The Heist. It's written by Frank Thierry, who excels at just kind of off-the-wall, oddball superhero-type stuff. And it's basically, like you said, the usual usual suspects or Ocean's Eleven with Iron Man villains, Mm -hmm. where they see all the big heroes are gone, and this is their big chance. And I... I'm loving what they're doing like with the superior foes of Spider-Man, so kind of a same yeah. vein of that. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in that one. Definitely. I agree. Uh, one of the questions a fan asked, and this is something actually I've been thinking they're working towards, is later on we're going to talk about the Ultimate panel and how they have the whole Cataclysm coming up. And if that's going to be tied into all the stuff going on with New Avengers – how eventually, you know, our universe is going to intercede with the ultimate our universe. Like I live there, <laughs> is <laughs> going to intercede the same with thing, yeah. the ultimate universe, and one of them is going to have to go away. And I forget who it was. I think it was uh, Tom Brevoort or Steve Wacker, one of the one of the bigwigs. No, actual Axel Alonso actually it was said that that is definitely a good line of thinking to have, which really has me excited for what they're going on there. 
Well, yes and no, because then that does mean a, a, a freaking new 52 kind of mentality of let's start from scratch or, or no, you know, I just replace. think they're kind of going to get rid of the ultimate universe altogether. Yeah, but look at what bring over a couple were. of the characters and just wipe <sighs> the rest. I think that's that, I think that would be terrible looking at what we're getting from different titles in the uni- the ultimates right now and like the excitement for the freaking cloak and dagger, which they briefly oh, brought up as well. Man, keep that shit like keep it. Damn it. It's like I can't go through an entire episode nowadays without that. It's not like I'm dropping F-bombs, folks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would love to see them just hang on to that longer. And, I mean, look at what they've done with freaking Miles. That, I mean, geez, you want to hang on to that. Not, not just dump him in so that he can become, you know, second fiddle to freaking Otto. Because, let's be honest, <laughs> any other Spider-Man is going to be second fiddle to Otto. That's just the way it works. <laughs> Including Peter Parker. <laughs> exactly. At this point, yes. <laughs> and then they went into a lot of stuff about Uncanny Avengers, which uh, uh, I've made no secret. Of. I'm absolutely adoring everything they're doing there. And especially in the interview they had with Rick Remender and Steve McNiven, seeing the plans they have going forward. I First of all, we see Spider-Man 2099 is going to be coming into Superior Spider-Man. And they said even the 2099 version of Doctor Doom is going to be showing up in Uncanny Avengers. Interesting. See how that works out. Yeah, no kidding. But he's talking about just the whole idea of Uncanny Avengers altogether. And he's taking the same approach he did with uh, Uncanny X-Force, where the opening storylines all come together in this one huge story. Like every single thing he did in Uncanny X-Force was building towards the Dark Angel saga. And he's doing the same thing here with Uncanny Avengers, where it's a huge, huge story. And what makes it different is there are so many more characters who need their time in the spotlight. And he said it's the first story arc is taking up 22 issues. <laughs> 22, that's, that's two years worth of comics for one story arc. But I like that. I like a long-running story, like we saw with like Hickman's Fantastic Four. And he goes into you know all the conflicts that are coming up with the various characters. You know, the... the, the ideal clashes between you know captain america and wolverine even tying it into what he's writing over in the actual captain america comic which hadn't even occurred to me that all the stuff steve is experiencing out in dimension x when he comes back to the avengers having experienced all that it really changes his outlook on life and now the actions that we saw in uncanny avengers 9 knowing that it's a completely different light and it really makes me appreciate it that much more yeah, if anybody can pull that off, Reminder's one of the few writers, him and Hickman, that you know that when it's a story that if it has the appearance that it's going to be massive, there's a reason why. <laughs> and, I, and I trust them. And the thing, too, is I've actually been holding off on reading those so that I can go back and, you know, read four or five at a time kind of thing. Because I think that they lend themselves far better as an epic storyline if you actually take them in one shot. I will not disagree with yeah, that. So I'm kind of out of the but loop of what's wait, been going so. on. Yeah, <laughs> I've been out of the loop and, and I'm all right. I'm holding back because I really do want to read it in one epic, you know, <laughs> overnight reading of the story. <laughs> It'll be like four and I'll be Twittering. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving into the Cupo Joe panel, which is a, a big success every year with Joe Casada. This is where they kind of announce the odd stuff that they have coming up you know the things that don't really quite fit into the avengers mold or the x-men mold is that one that really caught my eye is something called revolutionary war where it's going to be written by andy lanning 
And way back, you know, back in the day, like pre mid nineties, there was actually a completely different company uh, in the United Kingdom, Marvel UK, where they published a lot of stories with the same characters, but they were completely different stories. And there's several characters that only existed in that publishing line that fans have a huge following for. Now, of course, the comics you get in Europe now are the same ones we get in America. So they're actually picking up those old characters that have a huge fan following and are going to bring them into the core Marvel universe. And that's just one of those things where I know nothing about these characters. Yeah. So I'm really cool to see something new to me. Yeah. What have you been doing in the last 25 years, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the same thing. Each character is going to be like, so what have you been up to? <laughs> I'm not but of course, dust. as we've seen with stuff um, like Al Ewing, his, this thing he did with uh, the Captain Marvel. What was that tie in for? The, the Age of Ultron tie-in yeah. where he had, you know, the English Marvel characters, you know, Pete Wisdom and those guys, Captain Britain. And then as we've even seen, like, with the stuff we've looked at with, like, the 2000 AD, they have a very different interpretation of, you know, how they tell comic stories. So it's just – it's going to be a cool clash. Yeah. And then the other big one they broke is we are finally getting a follow-up to the Wolverine Origin miniseries. Uh, Origin 2, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Adam Kubert, and I – I don't know how to feel about this because honestly, yeah. the, as as huge of a success as the first origin was, it wasn't all that great. Well, parts of it were great, but certainly not all. See, this is it's funny because this is the same thing as what bugs you about DC, how everything is Batman related. Well, yeah. Marvel, you're looking at either X titles or Avengers. And, uh, yeah, and there's some other ones, but the main focus is those two. So it's no different than DC putting all their attention on Batman. So, like, I mean, I don't know. There's there's other characters I would rather that they spend time with. But again, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they publish what the people want and what will make them money. On the, the other hand. In, in I... terms of the storyline, I'm interested to see what they're going to be doing, especially with uh, what's his name, uh, the villain, uh, sinister, sinister. Before well, as, he was as they sinister, say, he's not sinister yet. He's still exactly. Nathaniel Essex, which I like. I like that because that's going to give you us, you know, a little bit of a different spin on the character and let him play around with that and have fun with it. But uh, but other than that, I I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely a wait and see. Yeah, especially this whole thing about. You know, bringing him back from the wild, and and they didn't say what's going to happen, but they kind of alluded, and it's that they, he was saying to the easy reference is King Kong, so that you know some evil scientist, no doubt this dude is going to bring him back, and he's wild and and whatever, and it's we've seen that kind and of story. Be a redhead involved, yeah, <laughs> we've seen that kind of story enough times. So that's what for me is kind of. When I read it initially, and it was like, okay, this could be all right. It could be, it could be good. But then you get more about the story, and it's like, uh, this is sounding way too familiar. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to the Spider-Man stuff. Oh, man, there was some cool stuff going on here. Of course, the big thing is the announcement of Darkest Hours, which is a storyline coming up later this year, which finally pits Otto, uh, Superior Spider-Man, against Venom. And, I mean, Ramos is drawing it, so come on. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. I, I'm I'm in. <laughs> and when they were talking to Ramos, because of course Slot wasn't there, because all he does with his life is write Spider-Man. <laughs> he doesn't have time to travel. He he always shows up on phone. Well, but they, they called him to yeah. Umberto Ramos and how he's been talking with Dan, and that Dan Slot has the next three years of Spider-Man stories already planned out. 
You know what? <laughs> I I wasn't surprised when I read that, <laughs> but all it it did was reinforce again my opinion of him as a writer. Like I mean, yeah, I've taken my 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 shots, not many of them, but you know, at the story and and things that were going on, especially initially with the the stuff with uh, with Otto and whatnot. But I've still always had faith that he knew where he was taking the story and how long he was planning on running with this ball. So it's like, it just reinforces that it's, I got a lot of faith for him as a writer. Mm-hmm. And that's also, you have to consider they publish this twice a month. So that's 72 issues worth of storyline that he has planned. Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. I love that. That, that, that kind of puts Hickman to shame. <laughs> <laughs> and it's talking about how they've really been kind of building up to this in reverse how ever since you know they had a brief brief interaction in spider island but the flash version of venom and really any version of spider-man haven't had much of an interaction yet so they've been keeping them apart for a couple of years now so it's kind of be a big deal when they come together for whatever reason yeah and when they had that little kid who came up and asked the question about you know why was dr octopus such a bad guy and this and that and they made that interesting point that if not for Uncle Ben, Peter himself yeah. could have turned out an awful lot like Dr. Octopus. And that – for people who aren't liking the story, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I, how can you not be enjoying the this, this story? There are people out there who don't like this. Man, I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't understand. Because I literally – I just read the last one in that uh, – where he takes over <laughs> Spider Island. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I love you. I love you, Dan. <laughs> Are you going to mention the other Spider title coming out? Uh, the Family Business graphic novel? No. Okay, oh, well, that's the last that thing I have in my notes. awesome. No, they mentioned the uh, another team-up. Is it called Superior Spider-Man team Yeah, first issue comes out tomorrow. But we have an avenging Spider-Man no, specifically no. They, for that. They're changing avenging Spider-Man into the superior okay. team. Up. See, I kind of thought that's probably what was happening, but from the notes that I was reading, it wasn't clear. And I was thinking, why do we need another one? Okay. Okay. Makes sense. I'm fine. Okay. All right. Moving into the X-Men stuff. Uh, briefly, we talked about a while back how they're taking away Wolverine's healing factor in, in, the, uh, in his solo series. But what... I do like is that's going to carry forward through every other comic Marvel is putting out for a while. So Wolverine and the X-Men, no healing factor. Uncanny Avengers, no healing factor. So it's going to be cool to see just how widespread this becomes and what other writers are going to do with that same concept. And when it's going to get retconned. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this was one of those, honestly, I really didn't care. We've seen this kind of thing before where it was like your next death is your last one and this and that. Yeah, that that, that didn't really carry through very long. So really this is – you know, if you look at certain characters, taking away certain abilities or certain things makes them more interesting. Now, I may be wrong about this. However, seeing as we've kind of seen something similar to this before, they even joked about that – we know it's not going to be that interesting. I mean, you take away freaking angels wings. That was interesting. You know, there's different other things that can be done that are interesting, but this is just so what you're taking his ability to heal away. Yeah. He'll be more careful and fights and not be dodging in front of bullets, but really <clears throat> I'm kind of wondering how they're going to write themselves out of that whole adamantium poisoning corner. <laughs> there's that as well. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, I, eh, it's not that interesting to me. All right. Uh, 
on a personal note, we uh, know X Factor is coming to a close, not being canceled. It's just coming to a close. And Marvel does have another project for Peter David lined up, which is great. And he got, he got so much great feedback from the fans because, as a lot of people know, he suffered a stroke several months ago. Like he couldn't talk, he couldn't walk. He fought back from you know a terrible place of being, and he uh, he thanked all the fans for all all the uh, the support he got. And God, I hope this is true. Saying that he got feedback, you know, support from a temple of Buddhist monks that wanted to help him because they really liked his run on The Incredible Hulk back in the 90s. Uh, us Buddhists were awesome. <laughs> and then we got some announcements of some new stuff coming. Uh, a miniseries, one shot, not sure what it is. Long shot saves the Marvel yes. Universe. <laughs> I thought that, that was funny. could be really cool. And a twist on the kills the Marvel Universe stuff that we've seen. Could also be very corny and terrible. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then Amazing X-Men. Why are you not giggling? I, I, I didn't read about that one. Amazing X-Men, written by Jason Aaron, art by Ed McGuinness, where the first storyline involves Azazel, uh, trans-dimensional being best known as Nightcrawler's father, has become a pirate in the underworld. So Kurt calls up his buddy Wolverine to come to the afterlife to help him. Okay, I read a little bit about this, but it was in one of the other stories, and it kind of like they were talking about Kurt, too, and what they're doing. I was like, eh, I was a little disappointed, so I didn't read on Okay, now this sounds awesome. And Jason Aaron has been very specifically saying, ever since they killed Nightcrawler, he's been wanting to bring him back, but wanting to do it right. And that's all the stuff we've been seeing in Wolverine and the X-Men with the Bamfs. Yes. That all ties in here, and this is us finally getting the actual Nightcrawler back. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. And how this series is going to be about the X-Men being X-Men. Not too much character drama, not all this stuff. It's it's an ongoing series of just the X-Men going around the world and getting into huge, big adventures, which is perfect for Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yeah. Very awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, on to the ultimate stuff. Uh, as they mentioned, uh, the Cataclysm is the event that's going to be following up Hunger, which we talked about, uh, which is the regular Galactus invading the ultimate universe. And with Cataclysm, they're subtitling it The Ultimate's Last Stand where the Ultimates are trying their best to stop Galactus after he's basically wiped out the Kree and the Scrolls, or, I'm sorry, the Chitauri mm-hmm. in the Ultimate Universe. And through this doorway that Galactus came through, they discover the regular Marvel Universe, which very few people know about because Nick Fury doesn't tell anybody, and I think just him and Miles might be the only ones who know about this. And their great idea is great. Send Galactus home, but realizing that if they do that, he's just going to kill people over there. So I don't know. This could be huge. I, like it, it, they said it could be building towards kind of an end of the Ultimate Universe. I honestly don't know what they're doing here. I, yeah. I will, honestly, I'm going to be so disappointed if they do, but it wouldn't be the first time that happens. But they've, but built, up with some, well, they've built on something so great. Yeah. 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 But as Bendis keeps reminding us, there's still a lot of great stuff coming for Miles. You know, he's talking about Cloak and Dagger. He's talking about all the cool stuff coming up and how they do have their 200th issue coming up soon. God, don't even make me try to figure out the numbering on these things at this point. But the whole point of that story is Miles finally meets Norman Osborn. Right. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, if we don't even have to look at 
anything else going on in the or that has happened in the Ultimates universe. Just looking at that death of Spider-Man arc with Miles, that's enough reason in and of itself to keep that universe going. Yeah, in my opinion. You know the rest is of great. everybody else. Just leave Miles. Yeah, Make really. him the only superhero on the planet. <laughs> yeah. I'll read that. I would. <laughs> they can definitely get rid of Iron Man. <laughs> but last I checked, I kind of think they kind of killed him. So I don't know. <laughs> I didn't actually. That's one that I read a few and I stopped. So it's, I, he's it's been still, very up and down. He's still been popping up in periodically in the X-Men one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving into the DC stuff. I, DC really didn't have a lot for me this year. Like. All of DC stuff was talking about things that are coming out in like a month or two. Like, I don't know if they haven't planned far enough ahead or if they just didn't want to talk about it. But they were seriously talking about comics that come out like next month as their big announcements. Well, they were talking about this. This was the Trinity one. Yeah, the Trinity War, which which, God, don't read it. It's uh, not good at all. Yeah, I kind of read some and I was like, no, this ain't doing it for me at all, at all, (laughs) at all, at all. So, yeah. But the, uh, they even tell us how Trinity War ends. They say at the end of Trinity War, the heroes have lost and the villains have won. And that leads into their series, miniseries. I don't even know what it is. I honestly couldn't care enough to check. But their big thing coming up with Forever Evil, where the supervillains are now taking over the DC universe. Yeah. Which we've seen seven or eight times. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It, it was, again, part of it was that there wasn't quite enough information that was like in, in what I was reading to really get into the meat of what they're planning. It was all very, just a, a few paragraphs about things that should be much more important. Although it's possible that they just didn't give any more information. I mean, you're looking mm-hmm. at what they were saying for, for Batman and for Talon and things like that. And it's like, there, there is some cool stuff there. I, how they said like, Talon and Batman are finally going to meet. Yeah. I'd like to know okay. more about that. I'd like to know more about that. But don't just show me a picture and say it's going to happen. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's going to happen in like two months. But <laughs> Come on. You, you, gotta, you have to expand upon some of this stuff. Yeah. However, there were a few things that did kind of catch my eye. And we've talked a few times about the new Constantine comic. And like I said, it's a different interpretation of the character. One that I don't enjoy as much as the previous interpretation. But I'm judging the comic objectively, and I'm still in actually enjoying the actual Constantine comic they're putting out and the premise they have of that Constantine has set himself up as the one who maintains balance in magic. He doesn't want anybody to gain too much power and theoretically take over the world. So he looks at a teenager who now has immense power, and he feels it's his job to go after Shazam. And I hope Constantine wipes the floor with him because <laughs> the Shazam stuff has been terrible. Yes, I agree. <laughs> but I mean, that's a that's a cool way of setting stuff up and realizing you know that they have a shared universe that involves more than just Batman and Superman and really looking at you know what their characters can do and how they can interact and that's something that I actually do want to read. Yeah. yeah. All right, we find out more stuff about uh, the Batman Superman comic where this, like I said, this takes place uh, the five years previous uh, before you know all the modern stuff where the young Batman and Superman are going to end up in Earth 2 and meeting their Earth 2 counterparts, I guess, before Darkseid came and killed them. Yeah. I, I'm reserving judgment on that <laughs> just because it's really too soon to tell anything about that comic. We've only read one issue. I think that they could have picked a better time period, a better setting and everything than that. It, mm-hmm. in my opinion, but you're trying to tie it in too much with something else. I don't know if that's a marketing thing in order to get more attention diverted that way or into new titles. I don't know. I think that it should have stood on its own in another 
you know, even if it's another time period or whatever. Exactly. Man, something other than that. We, they were talking about the Green Lanterns. Yeah. And it's the absolute best way they referred to the new recruits that we saw in issue 21 with Hal. They're the bad news bears of the Green Lanterns. I'm like, that fits. That makes sense. And they explain so many Green Lanterns have been mercilessly slaughtered over the last several years. I mean, just look at the body counts that we've had going back to like the Sinestro Corps War and Blackest Night and you know all the stuff they've been doing since then. The space sectors are running out of good candidates. Yeah, really? <laughs> so they're just getting who's left. I love that. <laughs> and then they were also talking about some Batman stuff uh, with Zero Year. And I, I'm trying really hard to like Zero Year. It's just not doing it for me yet. But Snyder did say ha, has some cool stuff to say about how he literally threw away his entire first draft. He didn't like anything he wrote for his first draft of Zero Year. Pitched it all into the shredder and started from scratch. That takes some guts as a writer. Oh, yeah. And how he asked Paul Dini, who uh, you know, worked on a lot of the animated stuff, why don't more people use the Riddler in their stories? Mm-hmm. And Paul Dini's reply was, because riddles are hard to write. Damn right. <laughs> so it, it, it was a cool discussion of people who like really know the character of Batman. And it was really the one standout thing for DC for me, even though I'm not personally enjoying Zero Year as much as a lot of other people are. Hearing these other people talking about it made me want to go back and relook at it and see yeah. if maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, exactly. I do. I like some of what he had to say about it. And, and again, the, the initially not thinking that they'd have to stray away from the year one stuff, but then seeing how they kind of do. And so if you're going to do it, then do it right. And, and how they kind of... It's, again, that that throwing up the script and starting from scratch, that wanting to do it right his way, Snyder's way, kind of like yeah, taking input and stuff like that. But certain choices going after him, even if they might not be the the easy one to make. I, I I'm gonna have to read more of this and see what's going on. And one of the cool things he talked about was the first Batmobile. How yeah. it's you know he didn't yeah. build it from scratch. He didn't you know bring it from Wayne Tech. It's his dad's old car that he retrofits to be the Batmobile. That is such a cool little character thing that I haven't seen any other interpretation of Batman that it really makes me appreciate what Snyder's doing. Yeah, yeah. Even even when editorial, DC editorial said, no, we want to do something different with the Batmobile. And Scott Snyder, uh, this is my personal you know, vision of how it worked out, went, no, I'm Scott Snyder. I'm writing all your best-selling comics. We're going to do this my way. <laughs> well, see, that's what I was talking about. So it's like, yeah, sticking <laughs> to his guns and doing what he thinks is right. So, all right. So yeah. like I said, DC talked about a lot of stuff, but it's – it just didn't grab me in a way that I, I wanted to. I, I wanted to be excited for what's coming, and instead they kind of went the other direction for a lot of what, they're, what they have going on. Well, see, again, a lot of what's going on right now, too, with, with Superman, with the exception of, again, what Snyder's doing and Jim Lee with it, are not really digging it all that much. So then when they're making a big deal about the Batman-Superman story, well, again, it's not going to necessarily be in a time that we care about that much. And then they were talking about the Superman Wonder Woman kind of thing, which I I didn't read a lot, a lot, a lot of insinuation and pictures about it, but I didn't actually read anything. Yeah. All we know is that it's Superman and Wonder Woman. Yeah. So it's like, it has a nice cover. Like that's it. (laughs) So it's like, and then this Trinity Wars thing, which we're not digging. So yeah, like it's kind of hard to get excited for this. Mm Mm-hmm. 
All right. Uh, we had some stuff from the, the smaller publishers, too. I mean, Image didn't have too much of a presence because they just had their huge Image Expo a couple weeks ago. But, you know, they, they basically just kind of reinforced a lot of the stuff they announced there, like uh, Velvet, the new comic coming from uh, Ed Root Baker, Steve Epting. I'm actually really interested in that one because, as they said, the premise is, what if the world's greatest spy was murdered and his boss's secretary was framed for it? You're like, oh, okay. But what if that secretary used to be a super spy herself? And I'm like, okay, I... All the stuff that I loved that Brubaker did with Captain America, where it was a lot of real espionage-themed yeah, stuff, yeah. I, I, I'm really glad to see him kind of jumping back into that that genre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some more stuff with Reminder, his stuff with Black Science and Deadly Class. <laughs> I love how Deadly Class is basically his version of Five Weapons. <laughs> you know what, dude? I was reading that and I was going, dude, that's Five Weapons. You're <laughs> ripping them. <laughs> Which is cool for me because I didn't really like Five Weapons. Screw you. Hey, see? You like something I don't. It's amazing how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? Really, other than that, did you really see much in this that you kind of went, oh, my God, I can't wait? Because I really didn't. Yeah, the one other that kind of grabbed my interest was Rocket Girl, where they're saying a 15-year-old police officer from 2013 travels back in time to 1986. And you're like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and how it's the 1980s vision of what 2013 would be like, which we've read several comics recently set in the 80s and their visions of the future are vastly different from where we are now. So that's just one of those quirky little ideas that I think could be pretty fun to read. But it's the concept that's interesting. The actual day-to-day reading about it, I'm not so sure that it's going to hold up. It'll... It, it it might. I mean, if that character is exceptionally strong, if you have a really powerful character that we're going to love to read about, then yeah, this can be phenomenal. And it, it, it reminds me very much of the TV series uh, Continuum, which we loved, except this is going to be a younger one of those kind of things. So so there's the potential there for something awesome. But I I don't know, man. That one's touch and go for me, too. Yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot of the stuff they talked about, like I said, just a couple weeks ago, the new stuff coming from Reminder, the new stuff coming from Hickman, they didn't really talk about that much at, e, at uh, E3, goodness, yeah. at uh, San Diego. So, like I said, they, they had their own event previously. I think this is uh, going to be one of those, like, often with Image 2, is we encourage people, you know, read it and see, and some of these titles might very well surprise us once they're out and running. Yeah, I mean, they, they hit more often than they miss. Exactly, yeah, my point exactly, yeah. Uh, one thing for me that just jumped out is a, a new series coming from IDW. It's called Ragnarok, and it's, I'm presuming, written and drawn by Walt Simonson because that's what he does. He writes and draws. And it's basically a lot of the stuff he did with Thor in the 80s. What he did with Thor, and I know this is you know you tuning me out, was he really brought a lot of the true mythological aspects into the Thor comics, which had previously been a lot of sci-fi stuff. And it grounded it and really made it something that personally I enjoyed when I was a kid. So now this is him taking all that mythological stuff, throwing the Marvel continuity away, and just telling an awesome Viking freaking Norse god comic. And I'm I'm in for that. Meh. Yeah, because you, you hate life. <laughs> I hate life? What? Yes, you hate life. How does that make sense I don't to you? know. <laughs> That's the best you can... <laughs> my god <laughs> in my drug addled brain right now even i could have come up with better than that and then one other thing that caught my eye was the announcement of a new assassin's creed graphic novel called brahmin 
which is taking the Assassin's Creed concept and putting it in 18th century India. And it just it just looks awesome. And as we've said so many times, I love that franchise and I love what they can do with the concept. And we're seeing, at least in the comics, them branching out. What I didn't know is they actually had a graphic novel come out last year called The Chain, which I didn't even know existed, which would have uh, tied in very well with Assassin's Creed 3 with the story they were telling there because uh, the first miniseries they did, The Fall, was actually published through DC, whereas The Chain and now Brahmin are Ubisoft's publishing it themselves. So I didn't even know they existed until just now. I, You know what's it's funny? Kind of to branch off from there is I'm surprised that at an event that is both for, you know, for all kinds of cult pop, culture stuff and the comics and, and, and with games and all that. We're not seeing more of these, more gaming comics. Like, yeah, there are some. There's there's this one. There's this stuff that the, the Dragon Age stuff and whatnot. But, man, I would think that they would really just jump on this bandwagon and do a crap load more. Not just a few sparingly here and there, but a lot more. Because it, it lends itself so well to, to the media. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. Yeah. All right. Anything else that uh, really caught your eye from Comic-Con? No. Okay. You want to talk about PAX? Because I've got a couple of stories about that. <laughs> we have another podcast where we do yeah, that, really. Roger. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I skipped over all of the movie and TV stuff just in the interest of time. Uh, perhaps I'll come back to it next week because uh, there was some interesting stuff going on there, specifically with uh, Warner Brothers and their Superman stuff. But in the interest of time, we're going to pass on that this week. Yeah. And we're also skipping what we're reading and jumping straight into our new releases. This week, Marvel brings us Captain America number nine, Hawkeye Annual number one, Hunger number one, which we were just talking about, New Avengers number eight, Scarlet Spider number 19, Superior Spider-Man 14. What? Sorry, I just said yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Superior Spider-Man team up number one, you know, that comic you've never heard of before. Ultimate X-Men 29, Uncanny Avengers 10. What If AVX number three, Wolverine and the X-Men number 33, and Young Avengers number eight. DC brings us Batman Superman number two, Constantine number five, issues 22 for Flash, Justice League Dark, and Red Hood and the Outlaws, as well as Talon number 10. From the smaller publishers, Dark Horse, we have Mass Effect Foundation number one which is actually a new ongoing series. It's not a miniseries like we've seen from the past. And despite our issues with the last game, we still both feel that the IP itself does have legs and can tell the good stories still. It still has not been long enough for that hurt to be gone, but I'll still read this. You were spitting this. some vile on Twitter the oh, other man, day. I was, I was like, man, you were sounding like it's our Scottish friend for a bit. It's still there. <laughs> I still have that <laughs> hatred. <laughs> Dynamite brings us Uncanny number two. From IDW, we have Doctor Who number 11 and Ghostbusters number six. And from Image, we have Dream Merchant number three. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. Yeah.